Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? It's your boy Dylan at Thunder Jazz, and I'm here with a word from our sponsors, Bet Online. Uh, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Just head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that is BLE50 in all capital letters, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And welcome in to another episode of the Topic Thunder podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Alex Roig. Um, it's just me today, um, but I do have a, an awesome guest today. Uh, joining us today is the man that is Oklahoma City bred. He's an Oklahoma City son. Uh, he's a graduate of George Washington University, where he received his bachelor's, uh, and Oklahoma City University, where he received his Juris Doctorate. Uh, NBC has dubbed him as a rising star in politics. Uh, and he has been referred to as whip smart and technocratic. Uh, he is a husband. He is a father. He is an author. He's a politician. This is the part that I love. He is a lover of 90s and 2000s hip hop. Uh, he is a Thunder fan. And he is one of us. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the show the mayor of Oklahoma City, David Holt. Mr. Holt, how are you doing? Thank you. I'm great, Alex. Thanks for the great introduction. And it's a, it's, it's a joy to be with you today. Awesome, awesome. So I, I want to kind of start off with, uh, I know you're a, a native uh, Oklahoma Cityite, um, but I know you did your most of your studies in George Washington University over in, in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were once a writer for the GW Hatchet. So I guess my question is, as a kind of a pseudo journalist myself, uh, mm-hmm. what was the most awkward question or situation that you ever found yourself in as a journalist or sports journalist? Well, I can't think, you know, I, I, I never like went into the locker room or anything like that. So um, but I, I was, I, I left Oklahoma city to go be a college student at George Washington university. I, my dad wasn't really a sports fan. So I wasn't uh, really into sports either until about my junior year. And of course I came into it through politics because I'd been elected the student, uh, the spirit vice president of the student council. And I was in charge of the pep assemblies my junior year of high school. So then I got like really interested I went to PC North. We were good at football and basketball and lots of things. And so I followed it closely. So by the time I arrived at George Washington, I was, I was, I had gone from zero to 60 really fast. And I was, I was a mega sports fan. And uh, by my junior year in college, I was the sports editor of, of the college paper. Tom Penders was the coach. Uh, before that, he had been at the University of Texas uh, and had quite an illustrious career. And uh, we had our moments and it was fun. And uh, I covered men's basketball, uh, again, a, a program that has had some highlights through the years, but is not always at the at the tip of people's tongues. Uh, they may think it's Georgetown or something. It's not. It's a different <laughs> school down the street. But 
Um, but we went to the tournament uh, once or twice or three times in, in my time in college. So, yeah, great experience. Uh, can't think of anything too, uh, too scandalous about it, but, uh, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I think I still always have that itch to scratch, and that's probably why a few years later, quite a few years later, I wrote a book, Big League City, about, uh, about the journey Oklahoma City had gone on uh, to arrive in the NBA because it was, you know, kind of fun to write about sports and politics in that sense. And uh, maybe someday I'll have time to do that again. But uh, I, 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 today I just consider my social media to be my, my uh, contribution to journalism, I guess. <laughs> so what, so you said you didn't really get into sports until your junior year in high school. Did you play any sports in high school? No, you know, I went to PZ North. I mean, that's a big school, you know, uh, maybe I'm about six, six. So maybe if I'd gone to a smaller school, the coach would have nudged me more, but nobody needed me. Uh, really? North. Yeah. So, I mean, as a kid, I played soccer for years as a, you know, played some basketball, baseball, dabbled in everything. But again, you know, I, I just, I'm a firm believer that somebody in your life has got to be pushing you <laughs> Uh, you know, and I didn't have that because again, I said, you know, my parents, my dad, especially just wasn't into sports at all. So, um, as a participant, I, I was, I was at a very low level, but later as a fan, I, I became, like I said, I mean, to be, you know, sports editor of your college paper, you're pretty into it. And, but I, but that journey happened for me all in about four years, but all the more exciting then to come back to Oklahoma city a few years later and have this community that I love become so immersed in in the sports world of america which was something we desperately needed for a long time and it's meant a lot to our community so i mean this is a thunder podcast so what is your your best thunder memory that you can think of oh there's so many and you know i've been bugging the thunder i think they need to do like a detailed write-up of all the seasons because they start to run together and all the all the narratives and all the uh all the things that meant so much to us at the time, you know, about different players and different win streaks and, you know, different expectations through the years. Um, I, I find it that there's no real repository of all those memories, but uh, I mean, obviously going, getting to go to the NBA finals is, is certainly uh, one of those most special memories. And I, I hope we get to experience it again, but I never take for granted that, you know, not only did we go to the NBA finals, but we went to, uh, you know, several Western Conference finals. And I always, again, it's fuzzy, it gets fuzzy to me. I can't even tell you the number. Is it four? Did we go to four Western Conference finals? Anyways, yes. they start they start to all run together during yeah. that, that time period. I mean, I never take it for granted because I recognize there are lots of NBA franchises that go decades without making their conference finals, um, much less the NBA finals. So, you know, we were very spoiled. And, and still are. I mean, you know, people bemoan what's happened with the team. And we're talking about two years, two seasons um, of, of a losing record. And uh, I think it's just because we're still kind of new at this, even though it's been 15 years. And, you know, the, the losing streak that gave us the opportunity to draft Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook uh, and James Harden largely happened in Seattle. And so we didn't our fans got to got to just enjoy the fruits of that misery they didn't realize that the Sonic slash Thunder had to lose for years to get to give us those opportunities. That's the cycle of, of professional basketball. We're in that cycle again. And uh, but I think I think that they're I think they're nailing the process. I mean, it's a textbook uh, comeback and actually is probably sped up by some smart trades and, and some smart opportunistic trades. 
uh, of superstars that have put us in a, a position that we don't have to maybe wait five or six years to get to back to the playoffs. I think it'll be a shorter timeline than that. So you, you have access, you know, you, you're in the rooms a lot more than, than anybody else as far as, you know, being around players, being around coaches, being around the team. Um, what is the funniest interaction you've ever had with a Thunder player? The Thunder player. Well, I mean, again, you know, I mean, it's not like they're like, uh, they're like, hey, hey, uh, Mayor Holt, come down here to the, you know, the the, the draft night. We, we've got to have your input. I mean, you know, I, I, I think it could probably be exaggerated, but um, there's a couple interesting moments along the way. Um, you know, a fun one was declared, and he was actually a former player by this time, but um, was my choice to declare Nick Collison Day and presenting that to him on the day that they retired his number. Um, you know, that was fun. And, uh, I don't, re- I don't actually declare a lot of days. I like to keep that sort of a special thing. So, uh, I've probably only done that less than 10 times, uh, in my four years as mayor. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, felt that was a special honor for a special person who'd meant a lot to our city and still does. Um, you know, another thing that I've never talked to, I've never had the chance to tell this story, but I think enough time has passed, um, you know, in the in the summer of 2020, I mean, this 2020 is obviously a, a very challenging year for all of us from COVID to, you know, uh, historic calls for, for racial equality. Uh, and as you will recall, of course, um, all this turmoil, um, you know, had, had erupted and caused the NBA season to go through all these fits and starts. And, you know, finally they settled in Orlando to finish out the season and uh, and they were beginning that that run and, and I believe if I remember correctly it was 10 regular season games and then the playoffs was what they had settled all the teams had settled into uh or yeah, it, it was eight and then the playoffs is that right eight okay well anyways so um so the thunder had arrived and Sam asked me uh, Sam Presti asked me to shoot a video to um to to kind of talk about what we were doing in Oklahoma City relative um to the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. And, and I talked in that video, it was, you know, three or four minutes long. And I talked about our law enforcement policy task force. And I talked about, um, you know, our, our human rights commission task force and, and just some other things that had kind of come out of what had occurred in June, 2020. And, uh, you know, he just, he just wanted to make sure that the players knew that you know the city they were representing uh, and, and had very little contact with and all of this because of because of COVID for the most part um, that we were you know that we were we were a city that was that was being progressive and was working on these issues and and so um, that was a video I prepared and and sent to him that was shown basically kind of on their first day there in mm-hmm. Orlando and um, that's it that's that's uh, cool an interesting memory yeah yeah. So, so you were former mayor, uh, Mick Cornett's chief of staff, whenever mm-hmm. the Hornets uh, were relocated to OKC because of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course, that means that you were in a lot of important meetings. Uh, you were in the room, as they say, a lot of times. How close, my only question with this um, was, how close was, were the Hornets to being the Thunder uh, and staying in Oklahoma City? Oh, great question. Yeah. Um... So if you want the long version of any of this uh, story, certainly pick up Big League City for $24.95 at uh, Full Circle Books. But uh, (laughs) this book came out 10 years ago, so I I don't get too many chances to to try and sell it anymore. But 
Um, but yeah, I was the mayor's chief of staff. I started after the Hornets had arrived. I started in January or February of 06. Um, so I was there for, you know, a season and a half of the Hornets and then kind of the whole odyssey with the Thunder and, and was able to show, especially the city hall perspective on all of that, uh, in, in big league city. But yeah, I, I certainly vividly remember that. And, and, you know, it's funny, like how many people in the sports world and American pop culture, like completely forget that we had the Hornets and that definitely came to light. Uh, for a lot of people, when Chris Paul played here, you know, we were like, "Welcome back, Chris Paul." And everybody's like, "What do you? Mean? Chris Paul's never played for the Oklahoma City Thunder." <laughs> like, you don't remember our first NBA team? You remember like, the red jerseys, the red Valentine's jerseys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all those incredible memories are, apparently are only recalled by us here in Oklahoma City. But, um, but it's just obviously meant a lot to us. And as you will recall, I mean, this city uh, absolutely adored the Hornets. And that that hangover lasted for a while. Um, you know, the, it has long since become a distant memory. But the first few months of the Thunder's arrival, there was a lot of torn and mixed emotions. People were, oh, I miss my Hornets. I don't know who these these terrible players from Seattle are, but I miss, I want my Hornets back. You know, and and you know, and, and obviously the way that the Thunder started three and twenty seven did not help. You know, but obviously by the time the next few years rolled around that was that became a distant memory locally as well but i remember it i put it in my book you know that those early days of the thunder everybody wanted their hornets you know um that's how much they loved their 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 first love of of the new orleans slash oklahoma city hornets but um your question was how much how hard did the hornets try to stay here i think it was um it was obvious. How, how close? How close yeah, were you? Close. I mean, I, I, it seems to me like it wasn't very close. It seems to me that the real effort was made by George Shin, and it was it was by it was with the NBA. I mean, he didn't come to us in Oklahoma City necessarily because I think he knew the answer. Of course, we would keep them. You know, like that, he didn't need to ask us. I think where he had his challenge was convincing the NBA to let a team leave new Orleans in that, in that time. And I think that that was just ultimately such a non-starter for the NBA. I think it was very politically troubling to uh, for the NBA to have the reputation of abandoning new Orleans in its time of need. Um, I just think it just never got very far. Um, okay. And, uh, but it, it you know, obviously Oklahoma city would have, would have done whatever we had to do to keep the team, but you know, we never really were, approached in any serious way because I think the first hurdle they had to overcome was the NBA's opposition and they just never got there. So I think they tried to plant some seeds. You may recall Project Beekeeper, I think is what they called their secret effort to try and stay in Oklahoma City. Um, but it just, it just, yeah, just never got very far. But, you know, they made more money and were more beloved here than they ever were uh, in New Orleans, at least previous to the relocation. I, I don't, I don't know today necessarily how everything is, but back then they'd only been in New Orleans for like a minute, you know, and they, they really weren't doing very well. And here they came here and they were financially doing better than ever. And they felt more a part of the community than ever before. So it under, it's understandable why they would want to stay, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't the right time. All those old New Orleans Hornets fans are going to get you now based off of that. <laughs> based off of those facts, they're going to come back and get you. I don't People don't even remember that was their name. You know, now it's so confusing with the Charlotte Hornets. It's like, what you know, to, to try and follow that thread of the Charlotte Hornets, New Orleans Hornets, New Orleans, Oklahoma City Hornets, back to New Orleans Hornets, then to New Orleans Pelicans, and then a new Charlotte Hornets team, you know, changes their name from the Bobcats as it requires 
uh, a, a high level degree in sports history. Mental gymnastics <laughs> is what that is. All right. So um, you kind of spoke about this, you know, talking about the bubble. Uh, but in April 2020, you wrote an article uh, for the Oklahoman detailing why sports was important to you and to the community at large during the pandemic. Um, I just want to kind of go back to March 11, 2020, you know, the, the night that the, the Thunder played the Jazz. The game was delayed at the beginning of it. We didn't know why. And then all of a sudden, you know, we know it's because Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. And basically the entire world shut down after that for a couple months. Um, so just kind of how crazy was that night? And then secondly, how ironic was it that Oklahoma City was basically the epicenter for the world shutting down for a couple of months because of COVID. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, and I'm sure I said something like this soon after, you know, we, we wanted to be, we wanted to have major league professional sports because we felt like it kind of moved us into the mainstream of American life and American pop culture. And I guess you got to take the good and the bad with that. And so, yeah, we, we never, uh, we never banked on being the epicenter of a global pandemic. Uh, or at least as America was experiencing it by having a major league professional sports team. But nevertheless, that's how it worked out. And, you know, the drama of that moment, you know, if he had tested positive at 6 p.m. or 8 p.m., it would have totally been different. But the fact that he tested positive at like 6.55 or something, you know, right right as as the game was about to tip off, made for this ultra dramatic scene that really captured the nation's attention and began this cascade of, uh, of reactions over the days that followed. And, and yeah, I mean, it's not just people in Oklahoma city who sort of trace it all back to the thunder game. That's, that's, that's what national history shows. Um, I was not at the game. I was at home and uh, kind of watching all this unfold and starting to get a lot of calls. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, on site, it was really, the responsibility of the Oklahoma State Department of Health, but there were all these ancillary things happening. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, I was kind of just helping to put out fires all over town. I mean, there was some a bit of a chaotic scene at the 21C Hotel where uh, where Rudy Gobert was staying. Because you got to understand, you know, people had so little knowledge of the virus at that time to be told that somebody was in your hotel currently you know with the virus was 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 for some people like being told that you were dead that you were you, yeah. you were you, that like the black plague was now uh was had now arrived and you were probably gonna die you know and uh and, and of course that's not the case he was in his room you know we understand now better uh how it's transmitted but um those were those are crazy times and um, I ended up, one of the main things I did that night was made a lot of calls to uh, help the Utah Jazz get a hotel. They had checked out of their hotel and they were, you know, planning to fly home after the game or fly on to wherever their next destination was. And uh, so they didn't have a place to stay. And so I was on the phone with the NBA office in New York and uh, uh, and Sam Presti was was helping out as well. And and uh, I was I ended up relocating to the Oklahoma City County Health Department and was with them till midnight or one o'clock. And I, and, and I mean, just a crazy thing, um, obviously, in all of our lives. And we all experienced it in different ways. But that was my big contribution. And the next day or the day after, I forget, uh, Senator Mitt Romney called me on my cell phone to thank me for for taking care of the Utah Jazz. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean that. I mean, literally that that event. You could probably write another book on that. You know, <laughs> on that event right there. 
Yeah. Um, so, so how important was the bubble psyche, not just of Oklahoma, but of the U.S. in total, um, to return to some some sense of normalcy? How important was what? I'm sorry. The bubble. Oh, the bubble. Oh, in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. I. You know. I obviously. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly as a fan, and uh, it was good to have that closure of the season. And, and we had a great run, you know, ga- went to game seven of the first round. And gosh, you know, could have absolutely, I think, advanced. And, and if I recall correctly, the next round was the Lakers. And I think we would have done a lot better than the Rockets did uh, against them. But um, and that was a really fun team, uh, an unexpectedly fun team, you know. But um, yeah, I think it was it was important. You know, it took so long. I remember thinking if, you know, all that could have come together a month or two earlier, I think it would have meant more. But because um, it was just everything um, just took longer than than yeah. you might have you might have hoped. And by the time that because, you know, we were like watching, you know, Trey Young play horse on ESPN uh, in his driveway, you know, back in June. And people would watch anything that involved a ball. But thank, my, thank goodness for the uh, the Last Dance documentary. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, I devoured that with my whole family. We watched all of that, you know. Um, so, but by the time the NBA arrived, there were a few more options starting to percolate, and we were starting to get out a little bit more. But, um, but no, I still think it was. I'm really glad they were able to do that and able to bring closure to that season. Um, but you know, obviously, there was still a lot of uh, surreal moments ahead because the entire following season we didn't even have fans. It, it just a weird lost time in all of our lives. Really, kind of a, a rip in time, as I call it. And uh, yeah. it, it's still it's still weird to process it all because some of it just doesn't even seem real. But um, but you know, I think we're I think here in Oklahoma City, um, you know, we had. So many, uh, the whammy of not being able to go to games for a year and a half, the, you know, the dramatic decline in the winning percentage of the team. I mean, I think we all got kind of, uh, it was it was very disorienting um, based on the previous 12 or 13 years of our experience. Um, but I, I kind of feel like we're coming out of it now. And um, and though the, the Chet Holmgren injury has been a little bit of a gut punch to everybody, I still think that there's going to be um, a little bit more, uh, excitement and optimism this year than maybe there has been last year as people get kind of back into the routine. I, I think people miss going to games and being a, being a fan. And oh, yeah. I think we're, I think we're ready to kind of get back into that. That's what I sense anyways. So I, I really, these next couple of questions, I want to just touch on the, the impact the Thunder have made in Oklahoma city. Um, so can you explain to me, as best you can in a financial sense, uh, the impact the Thunder have made in Oklahoma City over the past 15 years? It's on two levels. I mean, of course, the first one is, yeah, it's great that, you know, at least 41 nights a year, there's something really electric happening in downtown Oklahoma City that brings, you know, 18,000 people from across the city and across the region. Um, And that's great for, you know, the the downtown area. It's great for all the ancillary businesses. and that alone would be worth it. Uh, but, you know, what's what's so much more important, I think, is that in American life and whether you like sports or you don't like sports, this is true. And, and it's harder for people who don't really follow sports to believe or understand. But in American life, a major league professional sports team is pretty much how we bestow a blue ribbon on our top tier cities. It's the way that we differentiate. And for so long, Oklahoma City, from from everywhere else in the country, 
was hard to tell. It was hard for people to tell the difference between Oklahoma City, Wichita, Omaha, Little Rock, Amarillo. You know, we all looked the same from New York. The reality was we were always a lot larger. But again, without that major league sports team, people can't tell the difference. Um, having major league sports sends an implicit message that you have enough people, enough corporate presence, just enough general wherewithal, um, you know, to, to, to host one of the world's strongest brands. So it changed our status, you know, it changed what tier we operate in. It changed who our peers are. Um, and, and whether you like sports or whether you don't, but you love arts and you love great food or um, you just love uh, all the other things that have happened in the last 15 years. They are not coincidental. You know, <laughs> like this is the fact that we major league sports city changed every aspect of life in Oklahoma City and gave us more opportunities than we'd ever had before because job creators and investors and retailers and restaurants all looked at us in a different way. Or I should say looked at us at all. You know, I mean, we were just sort of. Uh, you know, all that Oklahoma City elicited from people in the past was a blank stare. And, uh, you know, and we still have some of those challenges to overcome, but the thunder have taken us so far. They changed the way the, that the world sees us and they changed the way that we see ourselves. And so it's so vitally important that we maintain that. I understand, you know, people who argue about facilities for cities that have two, three or four major league professional sports teams. That is such a different conversation than having one. When you only have one, that's your that's your gate that's your gateway to that status I'm talking about. And if you have zero, it's 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 so much more than 41 nights at the arena. It is uh, it is about your status as a city. And uh, obviously, we're we're very any of us who have lived here since the 80s and 90s really understands what a difference it is. If you if you uh, you don't need me to show you an economic study. Just remember what it was like to live in Oklahoma City in 1995 and remember what it was like to live in Oklahoma or think about what it was like to live in Oklahoma City today. It's just a different world. And major league professional sports have been the greatest contributor to that. There's lots of other things. Maps made that possible by building an arena. I mean, you can give credit to lots of things and lots of people. But without the arrival of major league professional sports, it's, it's just not the same. So then let's pivot over to, to, you know, what this conversation is really about, which is the new arena in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. um, so you, your message uh, to the citizens of Oklahoma City in regards to a new arena was it was very forthright. Um, it, it was a little bit surprising, this timing. So and this is the first time I heard of it. Was this the first time that you had mentioned a new arena being, run, being brought to the forefront? Yeah, well... I totally understood that. I knew that this was going to be news to people. And uh, and so I spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about how best to communicate a tremendous amount of a really important information to a city that didn't have this issue on its radar. Um, and I was, I've been very pleased at how it's landed, because especially if people took the time to read or watch my speech or follow the news coverage, it doesn't take long to to for it to sink in, because the facts are pretty plain. I mean, you have a 20-year-old arena in a league where the average arena is about 21 years old. Um, you have an arena that is the second cheapest arena in the United States. And, you know, you get what you pay for. I mean, it's not like we got a bargain for a great arena. We have a lesser arena than, than those other cities. And then we have the smallest arena by square footage, which is kind of an inside 
uh, I hate to mix sports analogies, kind of an inside baseball thing. You know, you think, well, who cares what the square footage is? Well, it's really fundamental because it defines the capabilities of your arena um, for all those ancillary things that drive revenue and, and allow a team to be competitive, all those restaurants and bars and entertainment options in and around an arena. If your arena is simply not big enough to host those things, there's nothing much you can do about it. I mean, you know, it, it's the arena is a certain size. You could spend a lot of money, I guess, to kind of blow out the walls and try to expand it. Mm -hmm. um, but then you get you kind of start to have to ask the question, you know, especially if you're working with an arena uh, that that is as mediocre as as the Paycom Center, you know, how, why is it really worth it or should you just start over from scratch? And um, so size, cost and age, once you kind of lay out those facts um, and then I guess on top of it, I should say, once you also sort of digest the fact that it takes so many years for a major public project to be executed, that just beginning the conversation is starting a clock that's going to tick for the better part of a decade, right? So um, then you're looking at having truly one of the oldest arenas in the NBA. Um, and I found that once you lay all that out, the, the rational reaction is, oh my gosh, like, like <laughs> we got to do something if we want to have a long-term relationship with professional sports. And critical fact in this scenario is that the Thunder until a few months ago, had one had only one year left on their lease. And that's another thing I fully recognize that people in the city don't think about, don't have on their calendar. Um, but, you know, that this is not a permanent marriage from a legal perspective. We have a lease and it has a ten, it has a certain term and there was only one year left. And that's why we had begun communications about the future. And, uh, you know, the reality is we're not going to have a long term relationship with a major league sports team especially the NBA, if we don't have a, a facility, especially for a market our size. I mean, if you look at the, the bottom 15 markets in the NBA, um, they all provide their sports facilities uh, for the, you know, I think 13 out of 15 are publicly owned. And, um, and that's just what that's because it gets hyper competitive at that level, because you got to also remember there's 18 uh, metropolitan statistical areas larger than Oklahoma City that don't have an NBA team, right? So that's kind of like, we're not just competing with our fellow NBA teams, we're also competing with these cities that would love to have our team, you know? And so we want to have that long-term relationship. Uh, the Thunder want to have that long-term relationship. Obviously these are local guys, they love Oklahoma City. It's been a magical relationship, um, but you know, we have to do our part and we just have to do the obvious things and follow the obvious model that everyone else does. I mean, we don't get to recreate uh, a different model here in Oklahoma City. There are certain, uh, truths that we have to accept and certain realities that we have to uh, live within. So um, fortunately, the Thunder are great partners. They agreed to a three-year extension so we could have the time for this conversation. And, uh, and, and we'll have something, I think, for the people of Oklahoma City to, to look at in the future that is reasonable, that is in line with what other communities do and, and is positioned to prepare uh, this city to have a long-term relationship for major league professional sports. Um, I don't know exactly the timing. I'm, I, I can guarantee you it's not this calendar year, but sometime beyond that, we'll, we'll have something to, to show the people of Oklahoma City. And I think it'll be exciting. I mean, I don't want this to feel like a burden or an obligation. I think it's an, it's an opportunity for this generation of residents to leave a really cool legacy by securing uh, a, a long-term relationship with the team and, and also by, you know, perhaps um, leaving a, a, a truly physical legacy in downtown Oklahoma City that'll be pretty cool, uh, be, be, be a facility we can really be proud of.
just the timing of it. Did you wish, man, can we wait one more year until maybe the Thunder get a little bit better before we bring this up? <laughs> I mean, the reality is the timing is what the timing is. And also, yeah. um, I don't mind people bringing this up because it gives me the opportunity to say, guys, keep your eye on the big picture. You know, like <laughs> this is not about the win-loss record in any particular year. Get back to what I was saying earlier about what having a major league sports franchise means to a community. And I always also remind people, um, you know what the record was of the Seattle Sonics when they relocated to Oklahoma City? It was 20 and 62, and we were thrilled to have them. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Know, it, it's, it's, and, and four years later, we were in the NBA Finals. I mean, you know, these things go in cycles. Um, if, if, if you were to cast a vote on, on whether you want to have the Thunder long term or not, based on, you know, what they're, what, whether they beat the Knicks last night or not, I would think, I would say that is about as short sighted as I could possibly imagine. I mean, this is about, what kind of city do we want to have in 2030, 2040? And that's going to be three or four NBA team on-court cycles from now. And that's yeah. that's irrelevant, right? It, the, the, the fact is we want to stay in the game. What uh, When do you think so, – so where are we in the process as far as – uh, just we're really in the beginning like just yeah yeah I, the of the I thought it was I, first of all because I, people needed to get get their minds around all of this as you said earlier I mean this was not on anyone's radar so I thought it, the, the more we delayed that you know that awakening for our residents the more shocking it would be you know I didn't want to mm -hmm. I didn't want to uh, wait all the way until we've got like renderings of an arena and then suddenly drop that on everybody I mean you know when they're not even thinking about it so um, so I thought it was important to bring it up at this stage. Also, you know, look, the Thunder had just agreed to a three-year extension. I mean, how long can I keep that a secret? You know, that, that felt a little, a fiddle, a little uh, awkward to, to, try and, to, to try and get away with not sharing that. So I felt the people of Oklahoma City were owed all of that information, and that way they could be better prepared for when the next stage comes. But, yes, otherwise, we're pretty much at the beginning of this conversation. We're, we're kind of working through what is it we really want, how will we finance it and pay for it? Uh, you know, what's the timeline? If it's a new facility, what's the location? I mean, so um, these are kind of things that you really need professionals to look at. Um, and, and so I'm sure I'm sure that there'll be uh, partnerships with leading national companies that do that sort of thing. And, and again, all leading up to uh, the sharing of, of some sort of proposal for the people of Oklahoma City to consider sometime in the future. Um, any idea where the new arena is going to be located? The only thing the I, I'm, question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable saying that I think it has to be downtown. I think that's really important to the city to have this energy downtown. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you know, there's you can use your imagination and and um, you know and it, 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 you know whatever you come up with is is probably uh, pretty close to re, re, what I think would be reality. But obviously, no decisions have been made. But I mean, you just you know, you look at what the options are in terms of size and current use and, and ownership, uh, you know, those, you start to get to a pretty short list pretty fast. We've all thought about the, the Seattle situation um, with Oklahoma City, but how important is it having ownership that actually wants to keep the Thunder in Oklahoma City? Yeah, it's great. I mean, we have such a great relationship, and obviously that is their desire, and uh, and that helps immensely. But I also kind of remind people, like, you can't take that for granted and you can't abuse that um, and you can't assume that will always be the case. You have to have a situation, an environment in place to where any franchise owned by anybody 
would want to stay in your community, um, you know, you can't just assume that you'll always have that favorable situation. Obviously, to some degree, that's what Seattle assumed, right? They they had, mm-hmm. um, you know, they had Mr. Seattle, Howard Schultz as their as their lead owner, and then one day they didn't, you know. And and the reality is, most sports teams are not owned by people who live in those communities because there's only so many of them, you know. I mean, they're always kind of getting traded around, and uh, and and that. That is um, that is a great bonus for us, and it's very unique. And obviously, I hope that's always maintained. But um, but again, you kind of have to operate within the realities of, of the NBA as a sport. You can't expect that sentimentality will um, you know will carry you through. And, and 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 it didn't 12 years ago either. I mean, you know, we passed mm-hmm. Big League City. I say 12 years ago, 14 years ago. You know, we passed Big League City um to still be competitive and uh and and even then obviously we had oklahoma city based owners but we couldn't you know we couldn't play in a 90 million dollar arena and here in 24 uh you know 2022 we can't expect to play in a 190 million dollar arena when yeah. when billion dollar arenas are opening every six months across the league i mean we're, we're just not our favor our comparisons are just not as favorable as they once were so this is my final question on this, and this is kind of new arena adjacent. Um, how close is Oklahoma City to getting an all-star game? Well, uh, probably, I mean, <laughs> at this stage, not very. I think one of the biggest challenges is hotels. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the historic hosts of all-star games, you, re- you recognize pretty fast that they're usually in um, cities that either because of, just naturally because of the size or maybe – like in a New Orleans, because of their historic status as a as a tourism destination, they have a ton of high quality hotel rooms. And though we have made great strides in this area, and the Omni is the most recent example of a very large hotel being built, that's still a little bit of a drop in the bucket compared to the the hotel room requirements that you have to have in the immediate vicinity of the of the arena. So, um, you know, I think it's a great dream to have, and I think we should still aspire to it. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see where it all goes, but that's, uh, that's still a bit of a challenge, um, for a market our size. Okay. Well, thank you. So before I let you go, we just, we always like to, you know, kind of ask our guests just some fast, fun questions, you know, to get to know the person. Um, so what are your three current TV shows that you're watching? Um, okay. Well, if you have time. I know I really don't, but I can, (laughs) I can attest to at least one off the top of my head because we just kind of. I've stayed up with it the last week or so, which is um, House of House of Dragons, which is the game. Hey, yeah, we're I'm I'm actually caught up all four episodes I've watched as of this uh, taping, and uh, I really like it. Yeah, it's good. But I, I don't want to cross pollinate, but we also have a podcast called Topic Fandom, in which we cover every episode of House of the Dragons. So if you want to check that out, that'd be great. <laughs> wow! Wow! That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's really good. It really sucked me in after the first episode. And we had watched all of Game of Thrones. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, what are your top three movies of all time? Um, uh, I still, I mean, it's very trite in a sense from a critic's perspective. So, you know, Citizen Kane came out, whatever it is, 80 years ago. Um, I could still watch any five minutes of that. You know, I, I find that I just love that movie. Um, when I was growing oh, up, yeah. uh it didn't, it's weird to say this. I mean, I really consider Pulp Fiction like life-changing and not in a sense that I became a gangster or anything out of it. <laughs> I mean, I think it was just for me as a, as a teenager in Oklahoma City, it was just so brilliant and so well done and such a great artistic achievement that 
um, I was pretty well obsessed with that in high school, and that would definitely be on um, on any list for me. Um, I don't know; those are two obvious picks. I'm not sure I have a clear third. I mean, I love uh, I love lots of Hitchcock stuff. My son's 12. We just watched North by Northwest uh, a couple weeks ago together, and he was really into it. So uh, I've always, you know, uh, I can always watch Vertigo or Rear Window or any of those. Uh, Enjoy uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I enjoy them all. I mean, nothing quite is like uh, life altering as Pulp Fiction. I, mean, I think that was just uh, opening up a new world for me as a 16 year old kid in Oklahoma City, I guess. I, I'll, I'll always consider that sort of a, uh, uh, a major cultural moment for me. And so my last question, uh, being that I am also a lover of 90s hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, so who was your favorite artist during that time? So it's interesting. You know, I grew up in Oklahoma City and uh, uh, Oklahoma City in the mid 90s for a white kid from Putnam City North <laughs> did not really expose you to much hip hop unless it was on MTV or KJ 103, you know, and, uh -huh. and at that time, KJ 103 would like cut out half of the rap lyrics and just play the music. You know, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I'm not even making that up like that was kind of the one of the tactics that was used on top 40 radio back then. So it wasn't until I went to DC in 97 that, um, that I really got introduced to, to real hip hop, you know, and, uh, uh, and that was where DC was really where I, I felt like, you know, I was really into Jay-Z and Busta Rhymes and, and Wyclef Jean and the Fugees and, uh, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. And I saw my guy. <laughs> <laughs> guy. I saw all of those people in concert. Uh, who, who do, I can't remember all that I just rattled off, but um, Jay-Z, I must have seen in Oklahoma City, but but I saw Wu-Tang, Wyclef, Busta, all at the 930 Club, different, different occasions, all at the 930 Club in D.C., which is a very small venue. I mean, it's a club. Um, and, and I'm in an, at least a couple of those. I mean, I was like right up against the stage, you know, like right there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was pretty into it. And, 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 and I guess that's still basically, you know, a lot of the music I listen to, I'm still trapped in apparently 1999 or something, but I, uh, but you it's, know, so, it's, it's so funny it's, how that, it's so funny how our youth kind of, you know, it stays <laughs> with us, the music from our youth. So you know, the, the proclivity of hip hop artists to mention the year in their song is always a little depressing, though, because uh, you're like, you're like, yeah, this song's awesome. It's like you think it's like 96. You feel like it's brand new. And they're like, you know, nine, nine, seven, nine, seven. You're like, what? what? 20, 25 years ago. Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. Well, Mayor, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Um, is there anything that you want to go ahead and kind of you know, tell the audience or anything maybe what you're, that you're working on or maybe something that, you know, we well, have I something think, coming down the pipeline. Well, I mean, I think we covered it. I mean, I think the big next big vision and dream for this community is obviously to make sure that, uh, that our arena profile is what it needs to be. We've, we've learned that that's a linchpin to being the city that we want to be. There's a million other things we're working on. We've got a, you know, billion dollars of really cool investments coming through maps for that touch on so many important subject matters like mental health and domestic violence and homelessness and all of that. So, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I mean, we're doing, a, we're working on a lot of different fronts uh, and that's exciting too. But I think like, 
the work for the voters is done on maps four, but I think all residents will have to pull on the same rope once again sometime uh, in the future to make sure that, uh, that we keep our long-term relationship with professional sports, but really more importantly, that we continue to be, um, you know, a major league sports city and, and all that that me has meant to us. Um, and, and so I always say to people, whether you like sports or not, you know, whether you like food or arts or all of those things are sort of tied up in our status as, as, a, as a destination uh, and, and as the home of the thunder. And so we want to we maintain that. But, you know, in the course of a day, a mayor will, will address a thousand different priorities, and, and we certainly do. But uh, I think big picture, that's, that's definitely top of the to-do list for the months ahead. Hey, I'm, I'm most excited about the Oklahoma City Aquarium coming yeah, there's ongoing conversations. The zoo has a, an, 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 its own sales tax that provides an ongoing revenue stream, and uh, they, they're looking for potential partners. And, yeah, I know some of that's been out in the media a little bit. So we'll see. It could be fun. Well, Mayor, thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, your impact on Oklahoma City uh, is going to be felt for, for years and decades to come. So we do thank you for that. We thank you for your service. Um, and we do thank you for coming on. Um, Everybody else, thank you for listening. Thank you for, you know, watching this this video, listening to this podcast. Uh, make sure you're hooping. Make sure you are, you know, being kind to each other. And as we always end our shows, everybody, thunder up. Mayor? <laughs> thunder up. Thanks, Alex. There we go. There we go. Thank you for listening to the Top of Fandom Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Our podcast can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Find our podcast, leave us a five-star rating, a positive review, and spread the word if you enjoyed it while we try to grow this thing. Until then, nerd up and geek out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.